Psalm 9. And our text for this evening is from verse 9 to the end of the psalm. Psalm 9 from verse 9 to verse 20. One of the hardest things about the topic of which we've been looking at today, the Sabbath day, the subject of war, is to learn of refugees who have to flee their home. And images and news of people having to flee their home because their homes are no longer safe. And it's heartbreaking. Right now there are many refugees leaving from Ukraine, traveling to various countries such as Moldova, Poland and other places during the week. I was privileged to, to see a video a report from Moldova of many refugees who were traveling through that country on their way to other parts. And while it's heartbreaking, there were many opportunities, gospel opportunities, with Muslims and people of other backgrounds. But when we think of refugees, we think of people fleeing heartbreaking situations, fleeing from their home. A person who has escaped, this is the definition of a refugee, a person who has escaped from their own country for political, religious, or it can be for reasons of war. Fleeing the wrath of an enemy, fleeing persecution of various different kinds. Fleeing from a place that is dangerous to a place of safety. Fleeing to a place of safety. And, and, and spiritually, this is something we all need. Every single last one of us, regardless of where we've been born, and regardless of our age, regardless of what our past may be, if we are people, we have been born in Adam's sin. We need to flee from the wrath to come into a place of safety in Christ Jesus. A place where the enemy, death, cannot touch us. So, Psalm 9, we're going to read now from verses 9 to 20. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwell in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they make, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. 
For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. And may God bless his word to us. The images of war zones are not pleasant images, are they? And we may have seen them throughout the week. And we may have had to turn away from them. And whatever the horror of those images, it is far worse for those who go through them and are affected by them. If we think of a home you have lived in all your life and to come back and it be bombed. Or to walk down a street where your children once played. But now it is no longer safe to walk down. No longer able to see your home after work. When you kiss your children after a hard day's work, when you come home to your family, these are some of the horrors and some of the heartbreaking parts about war that often get forgotten about and never seen. What is removed is that sense of safety, a sense of comfort, and a sense that when you go home that that is a refuge. A refuge. And there's a sense then you feel robbed of something. Your home is no longer safe. It is one of the reasons, isn't it, that burglary is such a horrible crime. Few realize how devastating it is until you've been the victim of a burglary. And why is it so horrible? Well, that place where you ought to feel safest, that place where you do feel safest, that place of warmth, and comfort someone has broken into. Some place where you feel like you can control who comes in and who comes out. Home is special. Home is safe. And home is where there's warmth. But let us think about this spiritually. How many around the world think their spiritual home and I emphasize spiritual home is safe. There are 2.38 billion people who think they're Christians around the world. I don't know about you, but that seems like a high number. 2.38 billion people. A large amount of the world's population believe that they are Christians. Probably believe that they are fine. And that their spiritual home is safe. Many have trusted in religious systems outside of the Bible. And added in some way, shape or form to the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And believe that their home is safe. Believe that it is safe to add their own works. And it is somehow Acceptable before God. 
for many. Countless. Their spiritual home is not safe. For many, they need a new home that is safe, that is a refuge, that is a fortress, that is a high tower. A refuge in God. Not their own works, not their own righteousness, not their own deeds, not the things that are built with their own hands, but in God. Because there's nowhere safer. There's nowhere more permanent than what God has provided for his people. And that is where we need to find our refuge. And that is our title for this evening's message. Refuge in a time. Refuge in a world at war. But we're going to look at this evening. Who is that refuge for? It's clearly not for everybody. Not for everyone in the world. But what can we learn from this text? Number one, it is for those who suffer. It is for those who suffer. In verse 9 it says this, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. For those who suffer. In times of war, they'll often have qualifications For who will qualify as a refugee? Who can have refugee status to come to a country and have that privilege of being able to escape whatever nightmare they are trying to escape? But who are those who suffer here? It says here in verse 10, And those who know your name and put their trust in you, For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who seek you. These who suffer, those oppressed, are those who seek God. Those who trust in God. And the question here this evening is, regardless of what may be going on around the world, regardless of what may be causing us bad nights of sleep, be that at work or in other situations, The most important thing that will matter is this. Is this you? Does this describe you? Have you a a refuge in the mighty fortress of God? Many around the world think they're seeking God. Several billion people think they're seeking God. Many think they will spend eternity in heaven. Most of the people who will spend eternity in hell don't realize the trouble they're in. They don't see that what they're thinking is as a safe place, a fortress, is not a fortress at all. It is sinking sand. There are many people around the world who think they're seeking God, but they never suffer for Christ. And the the levels of which we will all suffer for Christ will vary. Depends on what part of the world you live in. It depends on what job you have. But there will be a degree of suffering for the sake of Christ that you will go through as a believer. It may be small, it may be great. 
Many people around the world never oppressed. And this word here, oppressed, has the sense of being crushed. Misery. It is not pleasant. It is not something we want to go through, is it? For the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. This hostile world, this fallen hostile world, is at war, not only with Christ, but also his bride. And friends, if you take away nothing else from this evening, remember this, this suffering is not an additional extra. You will suffer. You will suffer for the sake of the gospel. If you are a Christian, to some degree, you may not even notice when you're doing it. It may cost you promotion at work. It may cost you friends. But it will cost you. And there will be a sense of suffering for the sake of Christ in this world. It is not an additional extra. It says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And if you go through all the Beatitudes, this describes those who are truly blessed, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And another one of the Beatitudes here is those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. A very specific reason why they are persecuted. For their promotion of righteousness. You will not be persecuted. For being. A private Christian. And no one else knows about it. You will be persecuted. For obeying God openly. When called upon to do so. The level of suffering. Again will depend. Often on our level of obedience. But as we suffer, for the sake of him, gladly suffer, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered far more than any of us ever will or ever could. Imagine he leaves the glories of heaven, the joy and the, and, and the presence of his Father and the Holy Spirit and the enjoyment of all these things. And he leaves that and he enters into the sin-cursed world. And not only that, he dies the most humiliating, horrible death. A death befitting only to the lowest criminals. That is what the King of Glory did for us. Even though he never sinned. But along with all that, when we do suffer... God will be a refuge in times of trouble. This is another thing as well, a wonderful thing about this. There's there's a sad start. There is going to be difficult times. There's going to be hard times. But also, at the same time, God is there for you. 
when you do suffer. He's a refuge for the oppressed in times of trouble. You have horrible times. He is there for you more than at other times. If you feel at your lowest and you cry out to God in prayer, they can be some of the most blessed times in your Christian walk. And why do I say that? Because you've lost the sense of self-dependency. You've lost the sense of, I'm in control of my life. You've lost the sense of, well, this is important. What really matters is God. Removing confidence in other things and drawing us to a fortress, drawing us to a stronghold, safe, sure, and secure. Really, it opens our eyes. Suffering really opens our eyes. That He is our rock, and here is where true safety is. And He is there to support us. He is there as a refuge when we go through difficult times. He's there for those in China who are currently suffering under horrible oppression. He is there for those who have suffered in recent times in in Australia, in Canada, New Zealand, when a lot of God's people couldn't even meet together. He is there for Christians currently in Ukraine and Russia. He is there for whatever you're facing, whatever trial you're going through. He's there for whatever the the enemy may throw at you. He is there for you. There are many who think they seek God, but they do not suffer for Him. It says, this is what Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, In that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Or another way of saying that last line, to those he never knew, you lived as if I never gave you a law to obey. You lived in a way that says that Jesus wasn't your Lord. We are living in a war zone. Every single last one of us. And it becomes very apparent if you're a new believer. The world around you changes dramatically. You see yourself in a war zone and you... You know, some people say your troubles are all gone if you're in Christ. There's a sense in which... Your troubles have just begun in this world. This is a war zone. But he is there for you in that war zone. And we are to take comfort from this if we are oppressed, if we are mistreated. That we would suffer for his glory and gladly do so. So God is a refuge for those who suffer. But he's also a refuge for those who sing. Number two, for those who sing. 
It says in verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. And this seems like a strange thing to say. There's a refuge if you suffer for those who suffer. But there's a refuge for those who sing. They just don't seem to go together, do they? Singing is something that you do when you're joyful, when you're glad. And can you be glad and joyful when you're suffering? How can you sing and suffer? How can we sing as the people of Christ in a hostile world? Because he brings deliverance. He brings safety. He brings from whatever and we're in the midst of. He saves us out of that. When we cry to him. In verse 12 it says this. When he avenges blood. He remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Our God answers prayer but our God also answers our songs when we sing the word of God to him he answers these psalms sung the word of Christ filled with the promises of God our prayers in desperation but also not only our prayers in desperation our psalms sung in desperation, when we're in the midst of those trials. This morning, we said how wonderful the Psalms are because they deal with topics we wouldn't even dare bring up ourselves at times. Subjects too painful to even mention. Things that people would probably never write about. But they deal with them. And they deal with how to come out of them. And they deal with how to be saved. And who to trust in the midst of these things. If you think of Psalm 51. Written by David. As he falls into grievous sin. Great King David. One of the lowest points of his life. But he writes that psalm. Because it's reality. We fall into sin. And there are things here. And God answers prayer. He answers our songs. It's often why God brings such oppression into our lives. That we would cry out to him in sheer desperation. Because it gives us a sense of how serious the situation is. And if he does bring challenging times into your life. He has a good reason for it. All things work together for good. To them that love God. We may not see it at the time. We may not see it for years, but he has a good, righteous, and holy reason for anything difficult we are going through. And out of that, think of it this way, it is drawing us to sing to him. As it says here in verse 11, sing praises to the Lord. Because it's when you go through challenges, he answers those prayers. And then out of that heart of joy and gratitude, the greatest times of worship The greatest times of praise and the greatest times of thanksgiving are. 
Imagine what we'd be like if as Christians we never had challenging times. Imagine what we'd be like if we never suffered. We'd never be able to sympathize with others. We'd never be able to come alongside other people and help them. We would probably never grow. The Lord brings these things into our lives for a good reason. And aren't we blessed to have the Psalms? These are written, breathed out by God. The very words of Christ. Peter wrote this. For prophecy, that is the word of God, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved along, guided along by the Spirit of God. This is what is so wonderful and special about these words that the sweet psalmist David writes to sing praises in response to suffering. And this is even before we get into, well, why do we sing only the Psalms in worship? Well, before we even think about that, which is better, the words of God or the words of men? To get through anything you're getting through. Who knows you better than anyone? God. God knows what we need. And the words of God speak here. They speak of praise and lament. They speak of joy and sorrow. They speak of pain and the presence of God. They speak of disappointment and deliverance. They speak of heartbreak. And they speak of heavenly comfort. It's all there. It's all here. It speaks of real Christian experience. Whatever you're going through, it'll be here in the Psalms. Because the refuge is for those who sing. For times of trouble, it is for those who sing. Sing. You you have difficult times, sing. we, We are so blessed to have the Psalms. We are so, so blessed to have the Word of God. That, the, that God in heaven who wrote them may be our refuge. It says in verse 13 of this psalm, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. Look at the suffering he's going through. He's seeking for mercy. He's seeking for deliverance. And why is he seeking that? Verse 14 says, why? That I may tell of all your praise. Isn't that amazing? He's seeking deliverance. That I may praise you. That we may seek God. That we may declare. Gloriously he answers prayer. The Psalms brought great comfort to those who are suffering throughout church history. Christian martyrs being taken to be burned, sung the Psalms. And also, Christians in the early church brought to be crucified outside walls of cities, sung the Psalms. These comforted them in their suffering. 
And may they comfort you in yours. So God is a refuge for those who suffer, for those who sing, but also for those who surrender. For those who surrender. It may sound strange in the context of war to have these words sing, suffer, and surrender to war. In many war zones, if you surrender, you will not have peace. You will have more and more oppression. In many wars that happen around the world, the worst thing you could do is surrender. But if you surrender to the Prince of Peace, then there will be peace. The source of the war is not the God of Heaven. The source of war is with man. The beginning of the war is with rebellion. Then and only then will there be peace when there is surrender to the terms of peace from the Prince of Peace himself. The danger is, if you keep fighting, and this is what many people do around the world, they keep fighting because they want their own will, they want their own desires, they want their own choices. They keep fighting. And yes, here today, it is possible to come to church. It is possible to be in the presence of God's people. It is possible to be raised in the church. And yet, fight against God. If this is you, then it is important that we listen to these verses. Verses 15 and 16. The nations... And also think of the nations, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, have sunk down in the pit which they make, which they made, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgments he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. Two groups, as we read this morning from Genesis chapter 3. There's been two groups since the beginning of this war. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent will have its head crushed by the seed of the woman. Here we have the nations. Another way of translating this word here would be Gentiles or the heathen, the unbelievers. Israel was the only nation that was the visible church. All the nations outside of them followed other gods. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they all had other gods. Their rebellion, their destruction... Is of their own making. It says in verse 15 once again. The nations have sunk down in the pit. Which they made. Whatever they do. Their works. 
contribute to their destruction. And there's no refuge for those who continue to fight against Christ. There's nowhere to hide, basically. There's no bunker, there's no cave to hide away in. What was one of the first things that Adam and Eve did when they fell into sin? They hid. And sinful men, we think, we think we can hide. We think we can hide from God, but we can't. There's nowhere where we can hide. Not even in hell can we hide from God. For hell is the place of God's wrath. There is no refuge if we fight against Christ. And that enemy which stalks us, death, will eventually capture you. There's no way to avoid it. People will do all sorts of things to avoid when they eventually will leave this world. And there's some things that are very wise to do, and they should do. Exercise, healthy eating. But the Lord knows how many days we're going to be on this earth. The Lord is in complete control of all these things. The Lord knows the second, the millisecond of your final breath. We must see that these are all in the hands of God. The works of the hands of the nations will destroy them. It says here in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. What they do brings death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The more they fight, the sense of here is, the, the deeper the pit, the more trouble they're in. Verse 15, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. It's almost like quicksand. It drags them down deeper and deeper. And this is what sin does. This is what the wages of sin does. During the week, people have said, and I'm no expert on this, but people have said Vladimir Putin's made a huge mistake. And I've heard this a number of times from different people. And it seems, according to a number of people, that the more he fights, the more he gets himself caught in more traps. It's the sense in which you don't pick a fight with a dangerous lion, if you're smart. You run. You don't pick a fight with the world. But sinful men, the nations fight against God. They fight against God. And the more they fight against God, the more they trap and ensnare themselves, and the deeper the pit gets. They lead by their own works to their own destruction. Only those who surrender to the terms of peace have refuge in our God. Verse 17 says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. All the nations that forget God. But at the same time, (coughs) all the nations forget God. God does not forget the needy. Those who depend on Him. Those who have surrendered to Him. Verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. They may feel 
in their suffering that they've been forgotten. But they have not been forgotten. They will not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. There is refuge for those who surrender to God. And then finally, number four. God is a refuge for those who see. For those who see. In order for all we have said to be possible, you must see God. Not with physical eyes. That would be an idol. But with spiritual eyes. How powerful he is. How wonderful he is. How loving he is. Of course we don't see it fully. Because we won't see him as he is. Until we go to our heavenly home. But to see his kindness. His graciousness. His glory. This is why. And this is how. David the sweet psalmist can say this in verse 19 Arise O Lord do not let man prevail let the nations be judged in your sight if you don't see God and how great he is and how wonderful he is David could not make that sincerely you see his power Arise O Lord do not let man prevail because you see That God is more powerful than man. Let the nations be judged. You see he's a great judge. In your sight. Verse 20. Put them in fear O Lord. That the nations. The unbelievers. Those outside of Christ. that That the nations may know themselves. To be but men. Selah. Only when you see who God is do you cry out to Him. Eyes to see and ears to hear. And you don't want other people, when you see how great God is, it breaks your heart to see other people rebelling against this God because He is so wonderful. And it's then you can say, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Do not let him do these things that trap him, that bring him down into the pit. You don't want to see this. And so David, the psalmist, can write, Arise, O God. Do it for your glory. That the nations be judged in your sight. So openly they may all see they're but men. They're not gods. They can't decide their own destiny. Let them see who the true God of heaven and earth is. Let them see it before it is too late. We pray, and the psalmist here prays, that the Lord would put fear in them. Fear. And this would be a terrifying thing if it was a a mere man, a sinful mere man, to put fear into a population. That would be, you know, cruel. But this is the God of heaven and earth. And fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The nations today, they fear everything but God. And the reason they fear everything but God is because they don't fear God. 
put them in fear. They don't see God. They're blind to God. They think they're in control of everything. And if you're in control of everything, well, we better make sure we're, we're managing things better. This world seems to be chaotic, doesn't it? If man is in control, this world is utter chaos. We need to see that God is the one in control. We need to see he is the one with the power. We need to see he is the one with that perfect standard of which we all need to follow. And we need to see that we are but men. Let men see how small they are compared to God. How insignificant they are compared to God. And the only value our lives have is because of God. We've been created in God's image. Yes, our life has value. Absolutely. Because of God. You take God out of that, and there is no value. We have been created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And every breath that is taken that is not for Him, it really is wasted. Our world is arrogant and out of control with pride as it blinds itself to the God who made them, to the God who created them all in his image. Because when they see God, if their eyes are open, they'll see beauty, true beauty, true wisdom, true glory. And then they will see the heinousness of sin and they will willingly turn from it. That's what happens to a born-again believer. He is changed to a person who loves Christ. His eyes are open. He sees Christ is glorious and beautiful. There's nothing to be made to see. He just has to see what is there. And when he sees what is there, sin is vile to him. And that's what happens. They turn from that. And the fear of God is put into them. So that the more they fear God, the less they will fear other things. And the more they fear God, the more they see the refuge, the fortress, the high tower is with Him. If you're in a high tower, if you're in a fortress, which cannot be broken into by the enemy, what do we have to fear? If death itself can take away nothing from us. Actually death brings us even closer to our king. It brings us into the glorious presence of him. Far more than we've experienced here. So why would we even fear that? Yes death is an enemy. And not a pleasant enemy. We mourn people we've lost through that enemy. But we've nothing to fear. Because God is our refuge. If you have eyes to see, and if you have eyes to see, and you see how glorious Christ is, suffering for him is a privilege. Standing up for him in public is a privilege. Because you see that they're the ones in danger, not you. You're safe, you're secure. And when we leave this earth, we will enjoy the fullness 
of our God and see him more perfectly, more gloriously than we'll ever have seen him here. We have so much to look forward to, dear friends. We have so much to look forward to, and we have so much to tell this world. We have to tell them about where true safety lies. It is in God and in God alone. Amen.